Welcome to the Ready Eddy Podcast, where we tell the story of startups in the outdoor sport industry through the voice of their founders. Hey guys, welcome to another episode number 226 of the Ready Yeti Podcast. I'm your host, Matt DeLobono. Today we're sitting down with the COO, Chief Operating Officer of No Sweat, David Holt. No Sweat makes pads for hats and helmets designed to help keep sweat out of your eyes. A simple concept with a fairly niche use, but it's been incredibly well received, especially for athletes. No Sweat is an interesting brand with a really interesting story, and when I say that, I really mean how the first idea came about. But even more so is David's experience with all this. He originally came from the corporate world before transferring over to a startup, and we actually got to chat a lot about the differences in culture between the two. No Sweat has a particularly high-profile ambassador program, something that definitely has a lot more nuance to it than you might think. David also happens to be an investor in No Sweat, and we get to talk about how it changes when you look at a brand when you're involved in it in more than one way. Some important perspective there. In this episode, we dive into how to cultivate brand culture, the different nuances of the startup world versus corporate culture, challenges you might face with manufacturing, especially for simple products, and how to find the perfect people for your product, especially when introducing a relatively new concept to the market. Without further ado, I give you David Holt, Chief Operating Officer of No Sweat. Oh, and before we start, I just want to ask you, please leave a review. If you want to show your support, if you like what we're doing, please, please leave a review. It really does help out a ton, and we greatly appreciate it. All right, David, thank you for joining me today on the Ready Eddy podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Absolutely. So, so who are you? Who is David Holt? So I was born and raised in Washington, D.C. Um, after graduating high school, I moved out to Tucson, Arizona to attend the University of Arizona. From there, I moved to Denver, Colorado, where I lived for about 10 years. While living in Denver, I worked for a large uh, software company uh, that does different financial software. I was a consultant for them for just about eight or nine years. After leaving that job, I uh, was introduced to No Sweat. Um, I actually came, got introduced to No Sweat as an investor, um, and I invested a, you know, just a little bit into the business. Stayed in touch with the executive team throughout maybe six months, and then ended up coming on to work for No Sweat in January of 2019. Grab the helm and help in taking it to new heights, I see. Yes, that, that, that's the goal. Uh, I have a unique perspective as not only an employee and an executive, but obviously as an investor as well. So, Would you say that, that those things in relation to each other kind of uh, give you some biases or is it you know more of like a, a better, I guess, something that just strengthens your involvement? Uh, I think it strengthens... The involvement, uh, it, you know, as I mentioned, it's a unique perspective because sometimes I like to put on my proverbial invest investor hat and think, well, how would I, you know, react to this as if I were just an investor? You know, yeah. is this something that would excite me or motivate me to want to continue supporting the company, or uh, would this be something that would be a, a turnoff? Um, I definitely don't think it, it hurts in any in any way. If anything, it makes me harder on myself and, and on the business, I think, because, you know, when I think of it as an investor, you know, a lot of times 
investors aren't <laughs> interested in hearing any excuses and rightfully so. Um, so I think that's uh, helpful for us. The, it's, it's interesting. I, I feel like it does kind of force you to look at the business from the outside. I totally agree. Like I said, you know, uh, every business faces different challenges and stuff, but when you're an investor, I don't want to hear about why something's not working. I want to hear about what, what you've done to fix it and make it work. And it definitely forces you, as you said, to look at the business sort of from a, an outside perspective and rather than just getting caught up in the, you know, day-to-day internal minutia of, of running a business. Um, so what is no sweat before we get, you know, too far off the, uh, the beaten path there? Yeah, sure. So um, here at No Sweat, we uh, manufacture products that are designed to increase performance, safety, and hygiene for anybody who sweats and wears some type of a hat, helmet, or hard hat, visor, headgear in general. Um, we have a patented design and dry lid technology, which essentially locks the sweat into the liner as well as the moisture and odor. And then it stays dry to the touch on the outside. Um, Our real mission, I guess, is to provide innovative products that improve how people um, play, work, and live. So right now we make uh, hat liners, helmet liners, hard hat liners, visor liners. And this year we introduced a face shield liner during the pandemic. Very topical, of course. Yeah, uh, you know, with with retail and everything shutting down back in March, we really had to pivot, and try to find something to keep us relevant and keep bringing money in to sustain the business during you know quarantine and lockdown and and all of that. So uh, it was actually a tremendous success for us over uh, the spring and summer. Yeah, I'm. It it's really interesting because you obviously weren't the only um, brand to pivot in that way. I've noticed a lot of climbing brands, uh, interestingly enough, they started making masks and it's seen so many brands just seem to do really, really well. I mean, there is clearly the demand for it. So, I mean, it just makes a lot of sense. Yeah, totally. We had a lot of investors, uh, you know, immediately reach out to see if we could make masks. Unfortunately, um, we didn't really have the right tooling and capabilities to do that. Yeah. Um, as you said, a number of brands have pivoted here. I, I know an individual who sold about 60 million masks and was able to retire. Wow. <laughs> he, he set. Uh, so, I mean, I, I don't know the details of, you know, what he was making per mask, but at, at 25 cents a mask profit, that's, that's $15 million right there. So it's not uh, bad either way. <laughs> no, certainly. I, I would take it for sure. <laughs> oh yeah. So you, you mentioned the dry lid technology. How did you develop your products specifically that the idea behind the dry lid technology? I know you came in uh, a little bit after the company started, you know, being established and to help bring it into the, uh, the 21st century a bit, but can you walk us through the process of development or anything of the sort? Yeah, certainly. So let me start with where the idea for the product actually came. So uh, the founder of the company, um, who's no longer actively involved with the company, his stepfather was refing hockey games uh, up here in Minnesota, where we're headquartered out of. 
and his stepfather and his colleagues were using women's pads in their helmets <laughs> to prevent the uh, sweat from getting into their eyes and distracting them and, and whatnot. So that's where the idea came from. Um, so it actually, they came up with this idea while the founder was in undergrad and he was taking some upper level business courses and for one of his classes had to come up with a business idea and a business plan, you know, very normal uh, undergrad business type work. And they put all of this together. And once he graduated from college, he, I guess, decided he wanted to see it through to a real product and sort of the typical entrepreneurial story you hear where he spent a few years uh, proverbially toiling away in his parents' basement, trying to figure out materials and, you know, manufacturing. Um, and to give him credit, it's really remarkable what uh, all the things he did uh, come up with in terms of our, our current manufacturing process. And uh, as you mentioned, so when I came in, the product was already developed. It was we had packaging, we had marketing materials, we had investors, we had everything like that ready to go. It was really about how do we scale this and turn the corner from uh, into a, a profitable, you know, sustainable business. Um, and we're, we're currently working on improving the product, which is really exciting. But uh, that's sort of our story of how No Sweat came to be and and how the product was developed. Were there any challenges um, marketing this kind of product? I mean, it, it seems so interesting because it seems like a, you know, a pretty low committal thing. Uh, it's not like you're spending like hundreds and hundreds of dollars and you get a really straightforward solution. Yeah, there definitely are some challenges. Um, one thing that, that I see consistently, and I think this is sort of just a product of the internet and um, just where we are as a society is people are super doubtful of new products and they question, you know, do I need this? Or maybe, you know, this looks silly, this looks stupid. But what we've found is oftentimes when we get the product into the customer or client's hands, that they truly do see the value in it. As you mentioned, you know, it's not an expensive product. It's not, uh, you know, a big risk for somebody to go and try it out. It's, it's $10 and, you know, we'll call it $12.99 with shipping out the door to, to test it out um, at our smallest um, SKU level. Um, but that said, you know, with the internet and social media, you get people who, and this is for all businesses, I, I see it all the time on other brands pages, you know, there's always those negative people that, that maybe they misused the product or had one bad experience and they're ready to throw you under the bus and let the world know uh, how poor the product is. And uh, so that's always a challenge. But um, as I've been in the business now for quite some time, you just sort of take it on the chin, try to resolve, you know, when there's upset customers, we try to make it right. And usually we find that we don't actually refund them if we, you know, send them some product and maybe explain how to better place it in the piece of headgear they're using, nine times out of 10, they're happy and they, they remain a customer. So, um, you know, at first it was sometimes challenging and disheartening to see some of those 
comments and complaints, but he learned very quickly not to take it to heart. I, I feel like, I mean, with that, um, you know, you mentioned there's, there's always going to be some people out there that are going to be really unhappy about the product, but with how you guys started, you already started with people using an alternative to the product prior to the product even being made. So you know that there are people who like are looking for this. Oh, certainly. So as I mentioned, you know, it started as, I guess, truly a hockey product. Um, that makes currently, sense. we sell to every single NHL team every season. And this summer during the, the you know, prolonged season playoff Stanley Cup, we sold to a number of teams during the uh, bubble time. We also sell to the NHL Referees Association. They purchase a large bulk order before the season for all of the refs. And then we've expanded outside of hockey to golf. We're a PGA licensed product. That's probably one of our biggest channels right now. And um, any helmet or hat sport. Um, and we're also looking to just expand into just general lifestyle. People who just wear hats. You know, I wear hats all the time. And sure, I'm not, you know, I'm wearing a hat right now at work. Am I doing physical activity and sweating? No. But do I use the product? Yes, of course. It keeps my hats clean. It helps keep my skin clean. I mean, I wish I had this product when I was in high school, just for the hygiene aspect alone. Being a 16-year-old guy and dealing with, you know, acne and, and skin issues and stuff like that, this could have been very helpful for me. Um, so... Yeah. I mean, as one very sweaty individual, I, I personally appreciate this product because I mean, the summers are kind of brutal for me. I mean, one way or another, I'm, I'm wearing a helmet if I'm mountain biking or something. So this is like, you know, kind of up my alley. I'm a sweaty guy. Yeah. 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 Totally. I mean, we have a, one of my, uh, family members, uh, colleagues who's a golfer he's he's bald and he is a extreme sweater it can be 40 degrees outside he's in a t-shirt he's still sweating he loves the product but he also goes through it much much quicker than i do you know i can wear a liner for two weeks when i'm just wearing it in a hat day to day if i'm you know playing golf maybe i get a couple of rounds of golf out of it he sweats so much that at the at the turn after the ninth hole he's putting a new one in his hat so um that's another challenge we face is people are always asking how long does this last and it's tough to answer because the obvious answer is well everyone sweats differently and you know we do our best to explain that but um there's not there we're never gonna have a solid answer of this lasts you know 10 hours of activity we just can't you know are you guys thinking about making some kind of reusable no sweat pad? I don't, um, I don't... Yes. Yes. That's on the table for sure. Um, we've discussed that. We've actually discussed with some of our um, external manufacturing advisors um, trying to come up with a, a solution like that. So, you know, when you use the current reusable products that are out there, like a bandana or a skull cap or, or something like that, um, it absorbs the sweat, but then it can only absorb so much. And it also stays wet against your skin, which is not hygienic at all. So we'd want to develop something that has similar properties to our current product, where it's, it, it actually absorbs the sweat and wicks and keeps it off your skin and stays dry. Um, and I think we have some ideas of some potential ways to get there. Um, 
And that's something we're really looking forward to working on in, in 2021 and forward. What kind of culture exists within No Sweat and how do you cultivate it, promote it, and just, I guess, work it into No Sweat's narrative? So that's an interesting question because when I came on to No Sweat, as I mentioned, I came from a, a large corporate company, you know, traded on the NASDAQ, you know, very just typical corporate world. And when I got to No Sweat, it was very, very different, obviously. Very small company, a very little uh, structure in place in terms of even simple things like how many vacation days do I get a year? There was no limit. Now, obviously, if somebody was you know, taking vacation all the time, I assume somebody would say something, but I thought, you know what, let's put some, let's put some uh, procedures and, you know, expectations in place just to make it a little bit easier for everybody. There's no uncertainty or ambiguity. And also, you know, we can still maintain the, you know, small startup fun atmosphere, um, which I think we do a good job of, you know, we want everybody to enjoy working here because if you don't enjoy working here, you're not going to be a productive, valuable employee compared to somebody who does enjoy working here, at least um, from my experience. So, um, you know, we, we don't do a ton of things you see in the movies of startups that have, you know, partying all the time and things like that. We, we do do, you know, uh, we've got a We had a ping pong table. We've now got a, this little finger soccer set up that's called uh bino b-i-n-h-o you should check it out it's a great game a lot of fun this is a free plug for them i don't know them or anything but uh we love it we're obsessed with it here in the office and uh you know we do like uh holiday functions and things like that but you know generally speaking um just try to have a light light-hearted atmosphere and as long as everybody's on top of their stuff i'm not going to be breathing down their neck um, I hate being micromanaged, um, so I don't do it. And if I have to do it, it's not going to happen. I'll, I'll find somebody that I don't have to micromanage and, and replace the employee. I definitely get that. For, I mean, first of all, I feel like that 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 fantasy startup having fun all the time is kind of kind of a bullshit idea. I know it like Google, I guess kind of does it where they have like this, like a campus and they have, you know, all of these amenities and that's, that's different. Cause they're Google. They're, they also have hundreds of billions of dollars. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So like they, and, and obviously it's a, like a very specific tech company. So, you know, the, just the work is different and the way that work gets done requires a lot of downtime with, you know, going through code. But I, it always blows my mind when like people have that image of, you know, just play all the time. And obviously like, um, I, I, I do, I will say that I do think the idea of, you know, you can take vacations whenever you like the idea of a, of work culture does seem to be shifting. And it seems like the way you guys set up or it's shifting in a way that makes a little bit more sense and is updated with the technology available where we can work from home. I mean, we're doing zoom calls now. So unless that there is work to be done that requires to be on site, or if there's a preference or, you know, a very specific call towards a community you're trying to cultivate, it, it does seem kind of to make more sense to have that kind of relaxed, just get your work done. And then everyone wins kind of mentality. I a hundred percent agree with you on everything you said. So I think it's total bullshit. I mean, unless you have some, I mean, I guess maybe, like you said, some tech companies where they get insane funding before they even have a, a true product. 
I guess, yeah, maybe, maybe they can do some more, you know, out there type things, but from everyone I know who's worked in startups, it, it, that's not the case at all. It's actually more so the opposite because you're grinding so hard to try to get the business up and running and sustainable and profitable and all of these things. And you've got, you know, however many investors you may or may have that you have to report to at least, you know, we do quarterly. Some people may do more or less frequently. And there's got to be some accountability. Um, that said, I, I also agree about, you know, the remote working and things like that. So what's interesting is that at my last job, as a consultant, I worked remote directly out of college. And so I graduated in 2009 and I was remote. There was no Zoom back then. We used WebEx, which still exists. Uh, we didn't do video conferencing, but, <laughs> you know, conference calls and screen shares and things like that. So I, I totally agree. And we, we have not all of our staff is here in Minnesota. We have some in LA. We have a, uh, our VP of sales is actually out of Miami. And obviously they're all remote. Um, and in terms of vacation, I, I agree. Uh, like I mentioned before, we, we do have policies in place. But that said, it, you know, if you're going to go maybe a day or two over what the limit is, I don't care as long as it's not egregious. You know, if we say you get 15 vacation days and you have a big trip and maybe you need 18, that's fine. You want to take 25, 30, uh, maybe we're going to have to do some, you know, unpaid time off or something like that, but I'm still willing to make it work. You know, um, that's, that's something I, I do have, um, you know, plenty of friends and relatives that work for a more, um, I guess, corporate structured company. And that, that's something that always blew my mind is that there is like this weird bartering currency for, uh, your days off and how they are. I mean, obviously with what you're saying, I mean, it, you know, if you're not performing, then you don't really get those benefits of getting the extra days, I would imagine. Um, cause you know, the, there, there's work to be done, but with in hearing the way that they have to like they're stressed out they're like oh my god i gotta take a i have to take a vacation because i don't want to lose these days off or whatever it it just seems kind of weird yeah no i i totally agree there's a it, it's weird and you know if somebody's performing what's the harm in letting them take a couple extra days if anything generally they come back more refreshed and do a better job than you know, when they feel burnt out and, and feel like, shoot, you know what, I, I wish I hadn't wasted that day off earlier in the year. I could really use it now. I don't, I don't like that mentality. Um, and I think that also with um, the younger generations, it just doesn't sit well with them, you know? Like, what's the point, you know? <laughs> well, what, what's the true point? Is it, is it because we just need to have policies and we have to follow them? Well, that doesn't really make that much sense. You know, why don't we figure something out that's a sensible policy? And, you know, if we have to, to be more strict or, or conversely more lenient, it gives us the flexibility to do so. Yeah. I mean, it's a real look and a compromise uh, regarding work and life balance, you know? Totally, totally. And, and I don't think that should be something that you have to, you know, sacrifice the balance or sacrifice things that you like to do um, because work is arbitrarily limiting you to a number of, of days or whatever. Now, like you said, though, if you're not producing, 
this is a whole nother story. Oh yeah, big time. <laughs> but, but but this is all you know all things considered. Assuming that you're on top of your stuff, you're meeting or exceeding goals and, and doing a good job. Yeah, of course. You guys obviously have uh, a pretty robust ambassador team. Uh, a lot of high profile athletes. Um, could you walk? us through the process of creating and managing that ambassador team, especially with such high profile athletes. Yes. Um, so I should point out that when I came to no sweat, the ambassador team was already assembled, but I do have some background on, on how that was all done. So uh, there was an employee who's, who's no longer with no sweat who prior uh, to working at No Sweat, had some experience working uh, with the NFL PA and additionally just working with um, pro athletes in general. Um, he, I guess, was trying to find this niche where he would pair athletes with startup companies that needed funding. Um, so that's how, you know, through him, we were able to gain our current ambassadors. And um, so I should note that almost all, except for maybe one or two of our ambassadors are actually investors in the company as well. Um, they invested before they became ambassadors too. Um, so they've put, you know, they have skin in the game. They put their hard earned money um, behind the company and um, they continue to support us. Um, in terms of managing uh, the relationships, that can be challenging sometimes to be honest um you know you see on tv and movies you hear about the quote-unquote diva athlete who doesn't answer the phone or you know doesn't is it is, i guess is irresponsible sometimes essentially <laughs> and um there are people we work with who i struggle to get a hold of whether you know, they don't answer and then I'm calling their financial advisor, I'm calling their agent and I'm oh boy. recalling those guys and, you know, hey, what's the deal? You know, need to speak to so-and-so. But on the other hand, there's only one or two like that. The rest of our guys are, are really have been a pleasure to work with. Um, they're easy to work with. They, they're responsible. They respond to us and they're really down to earth and genuinely care about the business. You know, they want to see this succeed. They want their investment to be successful. And, uh, you know, they have made other investments. They'd like to set themselves up for when their professional career is obviously eventually going to end, you know, their professional sports career, I should say. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's also, it must be a good way to kind of stay connected in the industry that, I mean, not only you spend your life involved in, but actually care about. I mean, it's, it's gotta be a huge topic of interest and great way to, you know, kind of stay tethered to that. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, I'm a huge sports fan. I love playing tons of sports as a kid growing up. Um, still love, you know, playing sports, being active now, My my go-to is snowboarding, having lived in Colorado yes. for 10 years. <laughs> Um, so I'm already, you know, making some reservations to get out there this upcoming season. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's great to be involved with a, a company that's, uh, involved in athletics and things like that. Cause that's something that I, I just naturally am drawn to and that I like. So it's yeah. a, it's a great fit for me. Do you have any plans of developing no sweat beyond its current use? I mean, obviously it's specifically for preventing sweat, but is there 
it, it seems like because it's such a simple product and it, it just is really successful with, you know, absorbing moisture, is there, is there any plans to expand beyond, um, I guess, sports? Yes, certainly. So um, as I mentioned earlier this year, we pivoted and we initially, we just repurposed our visor liner and marketed it as a face shield liner. So um, while we were doing that, we actually had two face shield, or not two, we had multiple face shield manufacturers reach out to us, two of whom ended up um, wanting a customized uh, smaller liner for their face shields. And we sort of explained to them, you know, the investment that it's going to take on our side to get the tooling needed and um, the order size we would need from them to make it feasible. Um, luckily that was not a concern for them. So we went ahead and did it. Um, that really carried us in the, uh, late spring, early summer. Um, but we also have a hard hat liner that we'd really love to push out into the industrial and commercial space. Um, working right now tentatively with some, uh, unions and things like that to try to get this. Um, sort of adopted by them so that all of their union workers get the product one way or another. We've also been in touch with, and we've sold to some PXs on military bases. PXs are post exchange. That's basically like a little shop on the base where soldiers um, or members of the military can go and buy, you know, whatever goods they sell. They're all tax free and whatnot. And we would love to, you know, get this out there more into the military space as well. We know there's some challenges there. The main one being that when we're at war, which unfortunately we've been now for what, 19 years, the biggest concerns for our soldiers are what they call bullets and beans. So ammunition and food. Everything after that is, you know, items three, four, five, not even one and two. I would guess after those two would probably come food and water. <laughs> so if you've got a, a bunch of guys out in, you know, way out there in Afghanistan and they have to fly a helicopter out to them, however frequently to bring them ammunition and, and whatever supplies they need, no sweat's not going to be high up on the list of things to take <laughs> space up in the helicopter. And we understand that. So if we could, as, as we discussed earlier, if we could come up with a uh, reusable um, version of this, that might be um, our way into some of those channels. But yeah, we definitely want to expand outside of sports and just get the product to anyone who wears a hat even, you know. You don't have to be playing sports to, to use the product. Like I mentioned earlier, I put them in all of my hats and I wear hats five out of seven days a week, four out of seven days a week, so... What is No Sweat's commitment to sustainable manufacturing? So right now, we don't have any sort of certifications um, in terms of sustainability or, you know, <laughs> none of the materials are like organic or anything like that. Um, we do purchase all of our materials um, here in the U.S. from U.S. suppliers, and the product is 100% made in the U.S.A., um, which is something we're very proud of. And as you mentioned, as we move into um, hopefully developing a reusable no sweat, that would, uh, you know, tremendously impact uh, environmental efforts. You know, there there would be much 
less uh, waste associated with the product and things like that. And that's something that we're, we're excited to move forward with. But as of right now, you know, the, the materials we use, there's no sort of organic versions or anything like that. Um, well, it seems like you have, um, you know, a pretty nice layout for that. It's difficult to just snap your fingers and create a perfect world. Uh, you know, I think manufacturing does get kind of dicey and there is a lot of approaches to sustainability. So actually sourcing a lot of your materials close to home does make a difference, I think. Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, we could get the materials uh, cheaper from China. Um after you know shipping and t- and all of the tariffs that exist present day probably wouldn't be that much cheaper but it is important to us that we are an american made product um and that's something i don't i don't foresee any time in the near future changing uh the only way i could see that changing is if perhaps the company was acquired and the new ownership said you know we're moving this somewhere else but as, as long as that's not the case, we're going to be here in the U.S. Uh, and sourcing all of our materials here in the U.S. as well. Uh, what are some of the biggest mistakes you've made along your career? So in terms of, of no sweat specifically, um, as I mentioned, I came from the corporate world and came on in 2019. Uh, you know, it took me a little bit of time to get up to speed with all of the different aspects of the company. Um, in the corporate world, we didn't do marketing i was a consultant we didn't even do the sales part you know the sales were made we just did our piece of the puzzle we were a cog in a machine that's it um here you know we are we are the machine and we have all all of these parts we have to be um cognizant of and, and aware of who's doing what and what's working and what's not i think the biggest mistake in 2019 and this probably even goes back further um, is that previous leadership was really concerned with our top line revenue and coming up with, you know, real grand sales numbers. Hey, we hit, you know, X hundred a thousand on Amazon or, you know, we did a, a million or whatever this year, but really, really wasn't focusing on profitability whatsoever. And after the former executives left throughout the course of 2019 and I was sort of the last one here, one of, as I built a new team, um, that was our, our goal was we're not, I'm not so concerned with the top line revenue. Let's worry about profitability. Let's worry about making this a sustainable business. You know, I don't want to go out and keep fundraising over and over. It's, it's not sustainable and people are not going to keep forking over money if there's not, you know, the sales numbers sound great, but why are you, why do you still need more funds if the sales numbers are so great? You know, and that's, again, this goes back to as an investor, that'd be the first question I ask, you know, you want to tell me, oh, our sales are fantastic. You know, we're in seven figures. Well, then why are you coming back to me to raise more funds? You know, is there a specific objective or, or, you know, some sort of large scale manufacturing run you need to do that you specifically need funds for, I would say in my mind, that would be okay. Okay. I understand. But if it's just because you, you're driving sales, but you're not driving profits, then you've, you know, respectfully as an investor, I'd say you guys got to figure this out. And it's the solution is not me uh, or any investor, you know, writing you a new check. 
because the problems are, this is just going to be a cycle over and over and over. So we've made tremendous strides there. For example, on Amazon this year, this was as of the end of Q3, our profitability was up almost 800%. Um, and <laughs> our profitability on our website is up over 200%. And that also goes with, we did, uh, you know, we have played with pricing and other things like that. Um, but we've also really cut down our ad spend and really figured out what's working and honed in on that. And if things aren't working, you don't need that long to figure out if something's working or not. Yeah, that so. makes sense. And it sounds like you guys move on it quickly too, which is also like, you don't just wait like, Oh, let's see, maybe it'll change around. No, you, you guys take action too. It seems also important. Yeah, definitely. You know, we'll, we'll give it a little bit of time, but um, we're not just going to let it sit for weeks or, or more than a week. If it's not working, kill it and let's let's move on to the next one and try something else oh yeah thousand percent you got to be with a small company you got to be very uh quick to act in my opinion yeah and there i mean that's also another huge advantage of being a smaller company is just being able to be nimble oh oh for sure for sure you know if if one of my employees from our marketing team comes to me and says hey these ads are performing and these ones aren't, there's no like, well, let me talk to so-and-so and so-and-so and get approval. It's just, all right, go, you know, boost the ones that are working and cut the ones that aren't. And let's come up with some new ones to test while we continue to boost the stuff that's working. Um, all right. It looks like we have time for one more question. What advice would you give someone that wanted to start a business? I would say don't. And I've heard this so many times on interviews and podcasts, but I'm going to say it anyways, is don't let some idiot tell you why your business isn't going to work. I would say go for it. Give it a shot, especially if you're young. If you're, and by young, I would qualify that as obviously everyone's got different, you know, situations at home and whatnot, but I'd say under 40, at least maybe even under 45, go for it. You're going to regret it. If you don't, I know there's things early on in my career that I thought Huh, this could be a good idea. This could be a good idea. I watched other people act on them and watch them panned out. And I'm like, damn, why didn't I, you know, have the guts, I guess, to, to really uh, take a leap of faith and go for it. So I would say, you know, go for it and, and do your best to get some strong advisors who are experienced around you. Be willing to put yourself out there. It's not going to be easy. As we discussed, this isn't the movies. It's not going to be, you know, ping pong and, and kegs and parties all the time. It's going to be quite the opposite. But when you do reach, you know, some success and whether that's maybe turning a profit or whether that's reaching, you know, $1 million in sales, whatever the goals are, it, there's no better feeling. And, and being able to go home and be proud of what you do for your job is for sure the best the best thing anybody can do for themselves because being in a job where you're miserable is it's like torture. So yeah, you could say that again. I think we've all had some sort of gig like that. Then you learn quick, like, Oh man. I, yeah. I got to get I, out of here. I, I, yeah. <laughs> like I remember thinking after a year into a job, I'm like, I don't even, I wouldn't even want my boss's job. So what am I doing here? You know, like I, I wouldn't want to move up and, and deal with all of the, you know, 
crap and whatnot. So all of that stuff is super important. And it sounds cliche and it sounds like, oh, it's, you know, maybe it's, oh, it's easy for you to say, well, you know, no, it's not. <laughs> and I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. But if you truly believe that you've got something, I would just recommend that, that you go for it. David, thank you for coming on. If anyone's listening and they want to find out more about No Sweat, where is the best place to check out more information? I would go to our website, www.nosweatco.com, nosweatco.com. And yeah, you can find everything you need there. And if you have any questions, comments, et cetera, feel free to email info at nosweatco.com. And most likely I will be the one responding to you. (laughs) (laughs) That's another misconception. People think, oh, your title COO, you know, well, I I do the customer support too. So (laughs) it's part of operations, (laughs) damn it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it's part of a small running, a small lean operation. So awesome. Well, David, thank you again so much. I really appreciate you coming on the, uh, the podcast here. Yeah, no, I really appreciate you. This was a a great time and I really enjoyed speaking with you. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, then we would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Ready Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.